Welcome to the Green Valley Church Podcast, based in San Diego, where we are focused by scripture, unheard in relationships, we serve through strengths, and enthusiastically invite. We're so excited you found us. If you want to learn more about us, go to greenvalleychurch.com. Now let's get into today's message. That uh, video never gets old. I love it. Every every week it gets me. It reminds me of uh, how we say things, we express things that maybe maybe have nothing to do with what Jesus actually said. And it's worth double-checking. What does the Bible say? And uh, are we getting it, getting it right? So that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been living with for uh, several weeks now. I'm really glad you're here. It's great to uh, see you each week as always. I'd like you to do me a favor. Would you just help me um, finish these common expressions? What's the blank here? A watch pot never boils. Exactly. Well done. How about this? You can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Very good. You know this one. I slept like a baby or I heard baby, maybe dog. I think I heard dog or slept like a log. Somebody may say I slept like a log. All right. One more. This is my cross to bear. We hear these expressions all the time, all our lives, and we just sort of assume that they're true. There are these truisms, these sayings, these expressions that we hear. You ask someone, how do you sleep? They say, I slept like a baby. And I always thought that was a good thing until, until we had a baby, right? <laughs> or a dog. And I'm not even sure how to measure how a log slept, but... From an early age, I was taught a watched pot never boils. But then, literally just this week, I watched a guy look directly at a pot of water and it started to boil. I can confirm he was looking directly at it as it started to bubble. Turns out science has proven observation has no effect on how quickly water boils. One of my teachers used to say, uh, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Imagine my shock when I recently learned that researchers, this is true, at nearby University of California, San Diego, have discovered that hungry flies are actually more attracted to the acid in vinegar. Who knew? Turns out there's a lot of expressions that we use all the time, that we say all the time, that simply we take for granted as accurate, but in reality they aren't. Sometimes we even think they came from the Bible. Sometimes we even think they came from the lips of Jesus. But a closer look reveals that they're not actually accurate at all. Even where sometimes they keep us from really embracing what Jesus actually did say. This morning we covered the next installment in our series, Stuff Jesus Never Said. Along the way we looked at expressions attributed to Jesus, things like God helps those who help themselves, you just need to pray harder, God won't give you more than you can handle, let your feelings be your guide. And they sort of sound biblical, They sort of sound true, like Jesus might say it, but with each one, a closer look reveals that they're actually not at all what Jesus had to say. Today, we look at the expression, this is my cross to bear. You you hear it all the time. But is that how Jesus taught us to look at things? Put differently, according to Jesus, does God assign crosses from heaven for us to endure? Is that a helpful way for us to think about the ongoing hardships that we face? Is that a phrase that we should use? 
This is my cross to bear. Well, open with me to Mark chapter 8. We'll be starting in verse 31. Mark 8, 31. Hope you have your your Bible with you on your phone, your tablet, the Bible. Um, And as we get to it, let me set up this morning by thinking a little bit about the way this expression is commonly used. This is my cross to bear. What do people mean when they say that? Well, when people use the expression, they usually mean my cross equals my unique suffering. The idea is that every person has a different type of hardship to bear, some pain point that is unique to them, tailored for them, designed for them. Perhaps it's a weakness, a disability, a rough upbringing. Maybe it's a troubled marriage, a hot temper, a draining job. Maybe you're a lifelong Padre fan. Talk about suffering right there. My cross, then, when people say it, is the expression that uh, this is their unique suffering. It's probably different for you, but this is theirs. And when they say to bear, they mean accept that things aren't going to change. Resign yourself to the reality that this is just the way things are going to be forever this side of heaven. I just need to accept that it's here to say it's an ongoing hardship. I just need to endure it. Just grin and bear it. Brace myself and take it. There are millions of different crosses in the world. This one is mine. A suffering that's unique to me, something that I need to accept, will never change. So you put that together, and this is my cross to bear means this is my unique suffering that I need to just accept that things aren't going to change. And the implied message when we hear the expression, is that God wants to keep me from enjoying life to the fullest. God wants to keep me from enjoying life to the fullest. I am relegated to second best living because because God has given me a cross. My cross to bear sounds like a fatal march to a doomed destiny. When God planned my life, He deliberately withheld some blessings that other people get. God wants me to keep He wants to keep me from enjoying life to the fullest. And you think about it, that's a tragic way to view the cross. It's a tragic way to view the Christian life. It's it's not really a very flattering way to look at God at all. More than that, it reinforces what is a very common view outside of Christianity of what the faith is all about. So many people have this misconception that becoming a believer means that we give up our freedoms, we give up our fun, we give up our happiness. Suddenly, we have a cross to bear. So where does that concept come from? Well, it turns out the phraseology does come from something Jesus did say. Jesus did, in fact, teach about us bearing a cross. But What we've described so far is completely different than what he had in mind. By now you found Mark 8.31. Let's look at what Jesus actually taught. As we pick up the story, Jesus is teaching, and I want to take just a a few minutes here to unpack the backstory until he gets into our cross, because it's really helpful for us to understand what he means for us. Here Jesus is talking about his cross. He refers to himself as the Son of Man, which is one of his favorite terms for himself. And he says this in Mark 8.31, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man may suffer, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, 
and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now, this is Jesus' first disclosure to his closest followers about the upcoming crucifixion and resurrection. This is the first time in the book of Mark that, that Jesus tells him that tells them that this is what they can expect, the reason why he came. But it must have been shocking for them. How did he put it? That he must be killed. But it must have also been incredibly amazing for them because he continued, and after three days he said he would rise again. But then notice verse 32. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Apparently, Peter didn't hear the end of Jesus' sentence, the part about him rising again, or he wouldn't have rebuked him. I mean, Jesus is revealing that the most epic event in history is about to take place. He would conquer death. He would rise from the dead. He would become the, uh, the, the forever living Lord, risen, uh, the cornerstone of our faith that Jesus is, is risen from the dead. If Peter had heard, I mean really heard what Jesus said, he would have marveled, not rebuked. Instead, all Jesus heard was the part, or all Peter heard was the part about the suffering and death, which was complete, out, completely out of the question, according to Peter's concept of the Messiah. To him, this was inconceivable, terribly wrong. Let's continue, verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, pause there. The fact that Jesus looked at all of his disciples, and not just Peter, indicated that this, what he was about to say was something that all of the disciples needed to hear. I mean, Peter said it, but they all thought it. Lord, heaven forbid that you die. Peter said it, they all thought it, and so Jesus spoke to all of them. Verse 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Somehow, Jesus discerned that behind the words of Peter was the voice of Satan. Satan, who at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry had planted the seed that, that Jesus could maybe perhaps sidestep the cross. That temptation is now echoed in the protest of Peter. Follow me here. Somehow Jesus is speaking to Satan and Peter at the same time. I like the way one translation paraphrases it. It says, Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. Somehow Jesus discerned that behind the words of Peter was the voice of Satan. But what is the heart of Jesus' words to Peter? It is the last part of verse 33. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus reveals Peter's flawed thinking. He is thinking humanly, not, not heavenly. And in a way, if you think about it, that captures really what this whole entire series is all about. The whole premise of what we're talking about in this Sub-Jesus Never Said series. 
So many of the expressions that we look, have looked at are simply human thinking. Cliches based on culture, not Christ. When I focus only on my concerns, it's easy to frame my hardships negatively as a cross from God. But from heaven's vantage point, we are way more likely to make it about Jesus' cross, not my cross. So Jesus reveals Peter's flawed thinking as Jesus explains His cross. But then He gets to the part that explains how we should look at the cross that Jesus gives us. Verse 34. Then He called the crowd to Him along with His disciples and said, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Me. Earlier, Jesus had predicted his cross, his crucifixion. Now Jesus refers to the disciples' cross, their crucifixion. And he's speaking not only to the disciples, but the crowds. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. But what exactly is this cross that we take up? Well, first of all, whatever it is, it is for every disciple. This is addressed to whoever wants to be my disciple. In other words, this is not about different kinds of crosses to bear. This is the disciple's cross. It is universal. It is designed for anyone and everyone who wants to be a disciple. It is the same for everyone who chooses to follow Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And here's what's sobering. In Jesus' day, people took up a cross for only one reason. They were going to die. Back then, the only time anyone saw anyone take up a cross was when the Romans forced a criminal to carry their own cross to the place of execution. So the disciples' eyes must have expanded. They must have been wondering, like us, what does that mean? Well, Jesus explains it in verse 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now this sort of sounds backwards, sort of flip-flop, paradoxical, as if Jesus is giving them some mysterious riddle. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, for the gospel, will save it. But a closer reading of this passage, verse 35, reveals Jesus is talking about two very different definitions of the word life. So let me put it on the screen to help explain it. For whoever wants to save their life, that is their old self-led life, their own definition of life, whoever wants to save their self-led life will lose it. Lose what? Well, they will lose the opportunity to experience the God-led life, real life. Whoever wants to save their self-led life will lose out on the God-led life, real life. But then Jesus continues, 
But whoever loses their life, again, their self-led life, their own definition of life, whoever loses their self-led life for me and for the gospel will save it. That is, they will experience the God-led life. Again, real life. So to take up your cross is to move from here to here. From the self-led life to the God-led life. So instead of the cross that we bear being a tailor-made hardship that God wants us to endure, some fatal march to a doomed destiny, instead, according to Jesus, the cross that we bear is a picture of releasing our old empty lives in order to embrace real life in Christ. I sort of have this picture in my head of this uh, dog that's just, you know, yanking on a knotted rope and just playing tug of war, pulling the, 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 its owner pulling at the, the rope and the dog tugging away at it, clenched in its teeth. Uh, the owner can't get the dog to let up. Finally, in desperation, the pet owner throws, you know, like a, a steak or something on the, on, the, on, on the grass for the dog to eat. Still, the dog clamps down on the rope. He won't let go. Something in his nature wants to keep that rope at all costs. And you want to go, there's stake on the lawn if you just let go. We cling to our old life when God wants us to experience real life, His life. So instead of the cross that we bear being a tailor-made hardship that God gives us to endure, is a picture of releasing our old empty lives in order to embrace real life in Christ. In fact, Jesus adds the phrase, for the gospel. And the word gospel literally means good news. So whatever taking up our cross is, it has to do with great news. This wonderful news that we can release our old life, our empty lives, in order to embrace the life that God has for us. So here's what Jesus taught. My cross is my key to finding real life. When I let go of my self-led life and embrace the God-led life, I start to experience the life He intended. When I die to my old life, I am risen to new life. The cross and resurrection then becomes a picture of the Christian life, the spiritual life, the God-led life. When, on the other hand, we try to protect our lives, we live for ourselves, our lives are wasted. But when we release our old lives to Jesus, we actually discover the life that He wants for us. So instead of seeing taking up the cross as a hardship we must bear, it's actually a pathway to true life. Jesus called it taking up our cross. British novelist E.M. Forster, who wrote A Room with a View, once said this, we must be willing to let go of the life we have planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. Now, I have no idea whether he had any kind of spiritual uh, implication to that phrase, whether there was any spiritual meaning to it for him, but the principle is absolutely true. We must be willing to let go of the life we have planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. Now someone is thinking, 
That sounds great. But I'm pretty sure there's lots of times that I'm still kind of holding on to my old life. I call myself a Christian. I call myself a believer. But if I'm honest, I cling to my old life way too much. Am I supposed to do this perfectly? No one does. In fact, when Luke quotes Jesus' teaching here, Jesus adds the word daily. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. The idea here is this ongoing, growing, developing progress towards the life God has planned for us. You don't have to do it perfectly. You won't, not at first, not all the time. But more and more, as we start to see the benefit of the disciples' cross, we will choose to embrace the life rather that will go forever rather than the life that is fading. Instead of my cross being my unique suffering, Jesus taught us that it is my key to finding real life. And then what? Once we begin to embrace real life, what then? What's next? Well, the last two words of verse 34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Once we begin to embrace real life, follow Jesus. Instead of thinking about our crosses as something we we need to bear, Jesus saw taking up our crosses as the beginning of an adventure, an adventure in following him, wherever that leads. And that following, that, that tracking with them, that, that going where he leads is what actually restores us, renews us, revives us. Now, now look at the last two words of verse 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever saves, loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And the word there for save literally means to redeem, to restore, to heal, to make well. Instead of feeling like our cross is, it means expecting nothing's going to change, the command to follow me means we can expect a change in me for the better. We can expect a change in me for the better. Jesus' cross-carrying followers aren't stuck. God's life changes us. It revives us. It revitalizes us. It restores us. Do you see the difference? When people adopt a woe is me, this is my cross to bear mentality, it feels like they're resigned to a restricted destiny. But now when we adopt a take up the cross and follow Jesus mentality, it's an exciting Adventure that is filled of restoration and healing and hope. The command to follow me means we can expect a change in me for the better. And it leads to a totally different implied message. The implied message is that God wants to enable me to enjoy life to its fullest. That's the whole point. I'm not saying that we won't have ongoing problems or daunting circumstances. But those things are not our cross. Our cross is the decision to find life beyond our circumstances in Christ. 
and then follow Him into a life of restoration and hope. But I cannot end without saying this. What about my suffering? Our suffering. What do I do with that? If the cross I bear is is all of this and not my suffering, how do I look at the suffering in my life? This is the aha in all of this. Your sin and suffering is not your cross to bear. Jesus bore that cross for you. When it comes to your weakness, your struggles, your hardships and failures, take it to Calvary. That is His cross, not yours. Your hardships, your pains, your struggles, they belong on His cross, not your cross. Jesus' cross is what forgives and restores me. My cross is to follow Him. Jesus' cross is what restores and forgives me and restores me. My cross is to follow Him. And it's absolutely essential that we get that. As we follow Him into a life of restoration and hope. It's a common cliche. We hear it all the time. My cross to bear. But it sends exactly the wrong message about Jesus and the life that He offers. Does God assign crosses from heaven that we must endure as a way to restrict our fullness of life? No, He wants us to find true life, real life in Him. And it happens as we understand that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are all called to take up the disciples' cross and realize in it we find real life. We embrace God's life for us. It's not a burden to bear. It's a path to discover. The path of hope and restoration as we follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Green Valley Church Podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at greenvalleychurch.com.